Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 72 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of OFAC sanctions enforcement and compliance trends. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast to help let other compliance professionals know about the availability of the podcast through iTunes or Spotify. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Law of Volkoff Law Group, provides ethics and compliance program services, including specifically trade compliance. In particular, in this area, we provide assistance and counseling on compliance with Department of Treasury's OFAC regulations, the Department of Commerce's Export Administration regulations, and the State Department's ITAR regulations. Uh, We assist companies in reviewing specific transactions, implementing effective compliance programs, and responding to agency requests for information or in enforcement action. We've helped a number of companies and clients, obviously, to conduct voluntary disclosures, audits, and internal investigations as necessary. We are very familiar with existing sanctions programs and licensing requirements, uh, in particular involving Iran, Cuba, Russia, Venezuela, uh, and other countries. Uh, We also help to secure licenses and approvals needed for export transactions under EAR and ITAR from the Department of Commerce and State Department, respectively. If interested in our trade compliance services, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, today, let's take a a look at 2018 and sanctions enforcement uh, and see what kind of trends and what occurred this year. Uh, It's been a busy, busy year in the sanctions enforcement uh, area, not necessarily because of enforcement actions, but because of administration and administering uh, various uh, sanctions programs. Um, What's really, you know, clear over the last five years has been OFAC, or the Department of Treasuries, let's formally get the name out there, Office of Foreign Asset Control, has definitely expanded its influence and presence in the enforcement landscape. Uh, Global companies uh, now face a complex regime of sanctions that require careful navigation. Um, And as the U.S. government expands its reliance on sanctions as part of its foreign policy interests to try to influence foreign actors and advance the foreign policy interests of our country, global companies have to design and implement robust trade compliance programs. Uh, In recognition of this fact, I think the administration is planning to uh, issue uh, additional guidance in the area of effective compliance programs uh, in 2019. So we'll be looking for that. Um, And I plan to do a a podcast, a separate podcast, on trade compliance programs and how to design them and uh, some sort of best practices uh, as well. And uh, that's coming up in uh, a follow-up episode. So let's take a look here at the enforcement actions. Um, While OFAC this year did not have a record-setting year in terms of enforcement actions in comparison to prior years, uh, OFAC has really been busy administering the Ukraine-Russia sanctions program and reimposing the Iran sanctions program and addressing Venezuela. 
In its boldest move yet in the sanctions arena this year, OFAC adopted broad sanctions against Russian oligarchs, uh, which ultimately led to the divestiture of uh, significant oligarchs' interests in several related companies, that being Oleg Deripaska. The numbers for 2018, OFAC had only seven separate enforcement actions, totaling $71.5 million in civil penalties. Uh, interestingly, OFAC was so busy that they did not announce its first enforcement action until June 2018, halfway through the year. Uh, this compares uh, to enforcement action in uh, activity in 2017, for example. They, OFAC had 16 enforcement actions, totaling $119 million in civil, civil penalties. So uh, 2018 was definitely a slower year in terms of enforcement. On the other hand, in the second half of the year, I think the pace uh, was pretty much uh, what it was in 2017. It's just that they got a late start because of everything. Uh, that they were responsible for. OFAC continued to punish uh, global banks for violating OFAC sanctions. This year, Society General and J.P. Morgan Chase reached settlements of 55 and 5 million, respectively, for violating OFAC sanctions. But the most important OFAC sanctions enforcement action by far was the resolution of the Epsilon case, and I'm sure you've heard me talk about it, and I'll talk about it again. In that case, OFAC was victorious in its appeals position uh, regarding the applicable standard for enforcing third-party liability for violations of sanctions regulations. As affirmed by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, a company violates a sanctions regime if it, if it ships products to a third party when the company knows or should have known that the third party intended to ship the product to a prohibited entity that being an SDN, specially designated national, or the country-specific uh, prohibition, uh, for example, to a, you know, a Cuban business in violation of the embargo. The key point in this decision is the company's state of mind at the time of the shipment. The government does not have to prove that the product ultimately was shipped to a prohibited person or entity, only that the company, at the time that it acted, knew or should have known the third party intended to ship the product to a prohibited entity. So companies have to focus on their third party risks, not just in the FCPA context, which we often talk about, but in the sanctions enforcement arena. And this requires companies to commit to more than just screening of distributors and companies, but proactive compliance strategies that include robust contractual protections end-use certifications, training, monitoring of third parties, and auditing of third parties to ensure compliance with sanctions restrictions. Uh, unfortunately, what we see in the marketplace in the compliance arena is that too many companies believe that just screening a third party and, and a customer through open source intelligence is all that is required. Sanctions compliance requires careful design and implementation of all of the required elements of a compliance program. Uh, and I look forward to the upcoming guidance uh, coming out of the administration on export uh, compliance. Uh, and you know, I'm sure it's going to reinforce the need for a robust compliance program, not just a standalone system for screening third parties and customers. So let's take a, a review, if we can, for... Uh, some of the sanctions programs and what happened this year. 
Uh, let's start first, obviously, with the Iran sanctions program. And there, we had on November 5th, 2018, OFAC completed the process of reimposing the Iran sanctions program. Uh, the 180-day wind-down period for the termination of the United States' participation in the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action ended. Uh, and as part of this reimposition of U.S. sanctions, OFAC added more than 700 individuals, entities, aircraft, and vessels to the SDN list, including individuals and entities that had been removed uh, in connection with the JCPOA, as well as over 300 new targets. So that's an important fact when looking at uh, the Iran sanctions program and potential um, entities. And they're not just limited to entities that are in um, uh, Iran. Uh, you often have entities outside of uh, Iran that are included uh, on the list. OFAC also announced uh, a significant reduction exceptions, SREs, to eight countries, uh, China, India, Italy, Greece, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, and Turkey, to allow those countries to temporarily continue to purchase Iranian oil. Uh, and these SREs have to be renewed every six months. Uh, the new Iran uh, sanctions also broaden the scope of the prior sanctions, uh, in, under the JCPOA, the new Iran sanctions regulations give new authority to designate SDNs uh, and also to include persons uh, that provide material support or goods or services in support of persons uh, designated uh, under the uh, new sanctions regi regime. That's another sort of broader authority. And uh, they also include um, OFAC authority to prohibit or restrict correspondent and payable through accounts of foreign financial institutions. Uh, and they also, the new OFAC regulations expanded the menu of sanctions available to be imposed on persons who do engage in significant transactions related to Iranian uh, petroleum products and petrochemicals. So you can impose now secondary sanctions on principal executive officers, uh, visa restrictions, and prohibitions on investing in or purchasing debt and equity in, in uh, instruments from a secondary sanctioned person. Um, the reimposed Iran sanctions program also expands restrictions on foreign subsidiaries of U.S.-owned or controlled companies by prohibiting transactions with persons blocked uh, under the uh, regulations as well. Uh, the, the Iran sanctions regulations continue exceptions that allow for the sale of agricultural commodities, food, medicine, and medical devices to Iran uh, from the uh, U.S. or by U.S. persons or U.S.-owned or controlled foreign entities. Uh, so those uh, existing licenses uh, uh, will continue. Now let's go to the uh, Ukraine-Russia sanctions and the events in terms of 2018. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, on April 6, 2018, OFAC added seven Russian oligarchs and 12 companies uh, that they own or control, 17 senior Russian government officials, and a state-owned Russian weapons trading company and its subsidiary, a Russian bank, all added to the SDN list. And then the application of the 50% rule and extensive holdings and interests of the Russian oligarchs 
extended the sanctions impact, probably the most significant um, sanctions program in terms of the impact on uh, various companies. Um, and in particular, uh, the oligarch uh, companies associated with Oleg Deripaska, uh, which were pretty broad and eventually were modified, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But Oleg Deripaska uh, companies included on the sanctions list included B Finance Limited, Basic Element Limited, EN Plus Group, which is one that we're going to talk about, Eurosib Energo, uh, Rusal, uh, the world's one of the world's largest uh, aluminum producers, uh, Gas Group, and Agra Holding uh, Kuban. So. Um, Rusal is, like I mentioned, a large aluminum supplier uh, that uh, many companies deal with in, in the global economy. Uh, and Gaz Group uh, is the largest manufacturer of commercial vehicles, which was also uh, extended. In now, OFAC is not known for backing down. They're very aggressive and Recently, though, in response to uh, significant ownership and governance changes and a settlement reached uh, with Oleg Derek Pasca, OFAC removed uh, three Russian companies, EN Plus Group, uh, Rusal, and uh, Eurosib Ener Energo, ESE, from the sectoral sanctions list. And OFAC's decision to remove the three companies uh, capped a long, extensive effort by uh, Oleg Deripaska to modify his ownership and control of these companies to satisfy OFAC regulators that he no longer exercised ownership or management control of the companies. To secure removal of these entities, the companies agreed first to reduce Deripaska's ownership interest below 50%, two, to change the composition of the boards of directors of each of the three entities, three, to a robust schedule of auditing, certifying, and reporting requirements. So as part of the agreement, half of EN Plus's board, for example, will be comprised of U.S. and U.K. citizens, and Russell's uh, chairman of the board uh, will resign. Deripaska himself will remain sanctioned, and companies or individuals that conduct business with Deripaska or any company he owns 50% or more of will be subject to secondary sanctions. OFAC's original uh, oligarch sanctions were announced on April 6, 2018, uh, and uh, OFAC's sanctions on Russell had a significant impact on aluminum prices and supplies, as I mentioned. Um, so Deripaska and the three companies petitioned OFAC to delist the designations, uh, and uh, he agreed to reduce his uh, ownership interest to uh, 44.95 of EN+, Plus, which in turn owns um, uh, Russell, and, which is a subsidiary. Uh, Deripaska originally owned 70% of EN+. Plus. Uh, he also agreed not to earn any money from the corporate restructuring and reduction of his assets and control, and uh, EN Plus will retain control of ownership of Russell and ESE, the two subsidiaries. Uh, he also agreed, Deripaska agreed, to vote no more than 35% of his shares in EN Plus 
and the balance of his shares, then roughly 9%, will be voted by an independent third party with no ties to Deripaska. Uh, as I mentioned, EM Plus agreed to create a new board of directors, 12 board of directors, over half of whom are designated independent uh, directors. OFAC gets to vet the entire board, and half of the board, like I mentioned, will consist of U.S. and U.K. nationals. Uh, Deripaska himself will have the right to nominate no more than four directors, uh, and he agreed to a comprehensive letter to restrict his ability to exercise or influence, you know, informally control of EN+. He explicitly agreed not to directly or indirectly exercise controlling influence over management or policies of EN+. EN+, also agreed to a comprehensive auditing, certifying, and reporting regime, including auditing EN's and Russell's engagements with Deripaska, providing monthly certifications of compliance with OFAC terms of the agreement, providing quarterly reports to OFAC from EN Plus and Russell, and notifying OFAC of any changes to board composition, ownership, or compliance with terms of the settlement. Uh, this settlement, I think, provides important guidance uh, in how uh, companies can seek to shield themselves from related entities in which uh, there may be, let's say, a 70% interest or under the 50% rule would qualify uh, as a prohibited entity. Here now we have sort of the outline of a way to structure um, arrangements between two entities uh, to uh, sort of exclude application of the 50% rule. And that's why this is an important settlement and the terms of it are uh, interesting to follow. Okay, let's uh, switch now to the, the last two uh, sanctions programs. I just wanted to review the events uh, for 2018, include Cuba. Uh, in the last few years, nearly all business activity involving uh, Cuba was blocked. There was a general thawing of relations between the U.S. and Cuba and OFAC and the Department of Commerce Bureau of Industry and Security, BIS, uh, under the Obama administration, promulgated a narrow set of exceptions to the general prohibition. Um, with the Trump administration, these regulations and exceptions were modified and restricted again, uh, sort of going back and, and making them even a little bit tougher in some respects. The Cuba embargo and OFAC regulations prohibit the export or re re-export of all products, technologies, or services, either directly or through a third country. They're very broad in scope. It's statutory and uh, through regulations um, and, uh, and require any real modification of the Cuba prohibitions is going to require congressional action uh, to modify the embargo. Um, the, like I said, the Obama administration tried to uh, relax the OFAC regulations to the extent they could, uh, primarily in the area of travel and education. And uh, the Trump administration has sort of pushed back, and they've reimposed some stricter regulations that were targeted towards the Cuban military and intelligence uh, interests. Last, let's talk about the Venezuela sanctions program, which has been uh, more active uh, under the Trump administration. Um, and has been aimed squarely at hampering uh, the regime of Venezuelan President Nicolas uh, Maduro. Uh, much like OFAC's other sanctions program, uh, U.S. persons are prohibited from doing business with people on the, and entities on the SDN list. 
But the Venezuela sanctions program has been expanded to include um, categories of transactions involving the government of Venezuela and its state-owned enterprises. So the government of Venezuela itself has not been added to the SDN list, but there are a broad range of targeted prohibitions uh, enacted under a series of executive orders implementing uh, the sanctions. Uh, you really have to go back to August of 2017 and an executive order issued by the Trump administration, which prohibited transactions for new debt uh, uh, with PETAVASA, uh, the uh, state-owned uh, oil and gas company, with a maturity of greater than 90 days, uh, new debt of non-PETAVASA portions of the government of Venezuela, with a maturity of greater than 30 days, or new equity of non-PETAVASA portions of the government. Uh, also prohibited uh, transactions with um, uh, existing bonds issued by the government of Venezuela, uh, and the executive order further prohibited the purchase within the United States of most securities from the government uh, of Venezuela. This again is targeted towards the regime of Nicolas uh, Maduro. Um, so uh, remember that U.S. persons may not accept payments for new debt, and this uh, affects anybody doing business with PETAVASA or other segments of the government of Venezuela outside the time period specified, 90 days for PETAVASA and 30 days for other segments of the government of Venezuela. So uh, in an effort to sort of outmaneuver these sanctions, the Maduro regime launched its own oil-backed cryptocurrency called the Petro, and they stated uh, that Petro Gold would be backed by precious metals. They started another uh, cryptocurrency, and in March of 2018, uh, the administration uh, issued an executive order to prohibit all transactions related to provisions of financing for or other dealings in any digital currency, digital coin, or digital token, um, obviously targeting the petro and petro gold. Uh, in May of 2018, uh, the, another executive order was uh, issued which expanded upon uh, the one in the 2017. Uh, be, and it basically prohibited transactions within the U.S. or by U.S. persons that related to the purchase of any debt owed to the government of Venezuela, including PETAVASA. Um, so that would be accounts receivable, any debt owed uh, by the government uh, to the government of Venezuela that is pledged as collateral, uh, and the sale, transfer, assignment, or pledging as collateral by the government of Venezuela of any equity interest in any entity in which it has a 50% or greater ownership interest. So this is uh, an attempt, these measures were an attempt to limit the Venezuelan government's access to capital by restricting its ability to sell off public assets uh, to gain liquidity and to get uh, money. So unlike the debt-related prohibitions from the 2017 uh, order, these address debt of the government of Venezuela, meaning the debt-related provisions address debt that is owed to the government of Venezuela and restricting transactions in any of those uh, types of uh, instruments. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's it today for the sort of review of 2018, and we will... Uh, 
be back. I'm going to definitely put together a podcast on trade compliance and trade elements of a trade compliance uh, program and hope you can uh, uh, get a chance to listen to that when it comes out. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.